Hi, I'm Dr. Bill Adams, and it's my pleasure to be doing this podcast on our recent aesthetic surgery journal article entitled Enhancing Patient Outcomes in Aesthetic Breast Implants Using Proven Antimicrobial Breast Pocket Irrigations, a 20-year follow-up. Um, and it's my uh, distinct pleasure to be doing this podcast with my good friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Anaketh Venkatarum, who is a plastic surgeon in uh, Bangalore, uh, Bangalore uh, India. And uh, I met uh, Anaketh when he came doing the Aesthetic Society International Fellowship uh, a few years ago. And Anaketh, thanks so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure, Dr. Adams. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and our other co-author was Dr. Nick uh, Nicholas Lahar, who's one of our fantastic UT Southwestern Aesthetic uh, Fellows. Um, and again, the Aesthetic Society Fellowships, not the topic of this podcast, but are just fantastic opportunities. And Aniketh, I know, I think when you came, I, we did a lot of surgery and different things, but we also had a lot of fun. But maybe you can briefly talk about that and then we'll get into the paper. Absolutely. So um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be selected as the International Fellow, as the ASAPS International Fellow for 2017-2018. And uh, I, visited, I visited USA for almost three, four months in 2018. And that's when I wrote to Dr. Adams and he so kindly agreed for me to come and shadow him. And I was with him for almost two, three weeks. And it was a fantastic time. Uh, Dr. Adams couldn't have been nicer. Um, I, I learned a lot of breast surgery. I saw a lot of Dallas and I had a really great time. And uh, so that's where uh, the genesis of this paper happened. Yeah, we 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 talked about a lot of different things, and obviously, um, preventing capture and contracture, device-associated infection, antimicrobial best pocket irrigations has been a big part of my research career and uh, career in plastic surgery educationally. So, um, I think this paper was a um, it's a great paper looking at really my long-term experience over 20 years. Um, and Anaketh, I think you've picked out, I think, three points for us to just discuss on this podcast. So why don't you, why don't you start off and, um, and then we'll uh, go from there. Absolutely. So um, the first point that uh, jumps out is that this is the largest and longest series that has been published thus far, which specifically studies capsular contracture, contracture rates. It's over 20 years with uh, 2,088 patients. That's 4176 implants. And so it is, it is the largest series by a single surgeon by quite a mile. And this, uh, uh, this goes to Dr. Adams' extensive experience in this field. Uh, so that is, the, that is the first point which really underlines the significance of this paper. And the second point is that uh, in, in this paper, we saw that our uh, overall capsular contraction rate was 0.57% which is among the lowest reported among all papers. And this again highlights the efficacy of the triple antibiotic irrigation solution, which has been, uh, uh, which is uh, first described by Dr. Adams almost two decades ago. And uh, it just keeps getting uh, reinforced again and again with multiple papers. And this paper really uh, drives home the point that uh, along with various other maneuvers you can do, the triple antibiotic irrigation is the, is the cornerstone of uh, anti of uh, capsular contracture prophylaxis. And uh, the third point, uh, which we found incidentally, uh, was that uh, we found that there was a statistic, uh, there was a significantly higher incidence of capsular contracture in textured implants versus smooth implants. Uh, in textured implants, there was an incidence of 1.2%. Uh, 
and in smooth implants, it was 0.16%. So this, again, it is not something we we're looking for, but uh, it popped out when we were looking at the data. And so um, this, again, shows that there, there's, this, there's this thought process that capsular contracture rates are lower with textured implants. But uh, the evidence has really failed to back that up so far. Um, our paper shows a lower rate with smooth implants, and there are several other papers, one as recent as uh, 2022 February, which also shows that there's no uh, statistically uh, significant uh, difference between texture and smooth implants as far as capsular contractures are concerned. So yeah, I would say that these are the uh, three uh, take-home messages, if you will, from our paper. Yeah, the uh, I think the textured implants having a higher capsular contraction rate was a, certainly a surprising finding that we had looking at this series. Um, and all these patients were followed prospectively just through my implant database that um, I see patients and we would just record the their um, status, you know, as they were coming in for their follow-ups. And with the, the, the mean follow-up was six years and it was over 4,000 implants. One of the things, Annika, do you think that uh, just with regard to the texture versus smooth, and, you know, they were both... They were both uh, very low, but the uh, the the capsular contraction rate for smooth implants was 0.16 percent, mm -hmm. and then for textured was 1.21 percent. So so both were very low. Yes. Um, it's not like texture was ex exorbitantly high, um, mm -hmm. but it was statistically significantly higher in texture, um, and that's been one thing that's been perplexing over the years. I I would submit that a lot of the studies that have been done um, looking at texture implants were, it was completely different techniques at the time, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, now the techniques have been standardized. Again, we, we feel the antimicrobial breast pocket irrigations are the most important step because it's an active um, step in clearing uh, the bacterial load. Um, and and it, it was even back to the days of Boyd Burkhardt, he brought up points that textured implants had more surface area and therefore there would be more bacteria. And it was a little bit, he, he if you read his paper, it says a little bit weird that yeah. uh, the textured implants would have less capture contracture. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Anikath? No, um, definitely, if you look at like the theoretical basis of capsular contracture and, uh, the, and the fact that biofilms play an important role, in that sense, it would make sense that a smooth implant might have, uh, uh, if not lower, at least the same uh, capsular contracture rate as a textured implant, because textured implant, by virtue of its higher microsurface area, would have uh, more surface area for a biofilm to form. So uh, th that, that makes sense. And uh, there's more surface area for an inflammatory reaction to happen with the tissue interface. Um, so this definitely, uh, I mean, uh, logically, it makes sense that a smooth implant uh, would be lower. Um, and uh, in preparation for this podcast, I just uh, went over what the recent uh, 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 literature on this was. And um, I, there was a systematic review uh, which showed no significant difference between uh, textured and smooth. Um, and uh, there was another uh, paper last year which uh, again found no difference between uh, textured and smooth. So uh, with all of this, uh, uh, I mean, lower capsular contracture was touted as one of the big advantages for textured implants. But with recent concerns, particularly with uh, breast implant-associated illness, um, and if, you, if you're confident that 
smooth implants can give you the same or lower uh, capsular contracture rates, that just uh, reinforces the, real, the reliability of smooth implants. Yeah, and it's interesting because it, it segues, obviously, capsular contracture, when I first started becoming interested in this 25 years ago, capsular contracture was our main focus, the main uh, adverse event that we we're trying to minimize. And that was really on the, the coattails of all the work that Boyd Burkhardt had done uh, with this. Um, but obviously now in the modern area, there's other things too, things like breast implant associated ALCL, much of the data would point to a bacterial load issue and chronic inflammation and the bac bacteria actually as being the driver for that disease. Um, you know, so that it's, and we do know that texture implants are the things that have been implicated in it because there's exponentially more bacteria uh, on, on the texture devices. Um, but I, and we do discuss this in the paper by no means, mm -hmm was anything, you know, I think our recommendation is not necessarily that you can't use texture implants. Certainly exactly. you can use texture implants with a very low capture contraction rate, but in this study, in the, this data set, the capture contraction rate was a little bit higher. Um, so um, that kind of, that, that kind of goes along with much of the initial viewpoints that Boyd Burkhardt had voiced in the eighties. And, now, Anaketh, what about, we, we discussed some of this in the paper uh, regarding just the the techniques, you know, we mm -hmm. obviously when you, you came and visited, we were, you know, we obviously used uh, different antimicrobial breast pocket irrigations. In this study, it's the same ones that we've used for 25 years now, and all were described many years ago, but it was um, the Betadon triple, which was... 50 cc's of betadine, a gram of cefazolin, 80 genomycin, and vibinor saline. Um, and then there's a smaller number of people that had a non-betadine uh, triple antibiotic, which is was 50,000 units of bacitracin, um, 80 genomycin, and a gram of cefazolin, and vibinor saline. And then uh, there's also a subset of patients that had 50% betadine. Um, now, I think bacitracin is becoming harder and harder for people you know, to get, um, and, and based on some recent studies, uh, a betadine-containing breast pocket irrigation, uh, one of the, the two betadine-containings I just mentioned would be what we, what we would recommend. But there's also other techniques, too, that, that we do, correct, and when you're using implants, and probably all of them are important, but the antimicrobial breast pocket irrigation is probably the, the main active um, step. M many of the other things that we're doing are passive uh, reducers of bacterial load. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, um, uh, I mean, the 14-point the plan uh, is something that I learned uh, uh, from you, and it's something that I use in every single patient. And it's just a good guideline. Um, it's just like a nice checklist um, in fact, I, I print it out in the OR and make sure it's there and I check it off when I'm doing the case so that I don't miss any step. Um, and uh, if you follow the 14-point plan, it really, it's it's very sound in terms of identifying every possible potentiator of capsular contracture and doing whatever you can to minimize every single possible potentiator. But as you mentioned, um, most of those are passive. It's the antibiotic irrigation, which is really the, uh, the active step at, uh, in terms of uh, attacking the the foundational cause of capsular contracture. And uh, regarding the betadine and non-betadine, um, yeah, um, as you said, uh, uh, um, you, were the, you were the first to describe this. And uh, uh, really the only reason the non-betadine, I think uh, 
uh, came into place, I mean, uh, you'd be the better person to comment on this, would be because of the FDA's uh, stance on Betadine in the early 2000s. And that stance was also uh, founded on, uh, uh, let's say, shaky ground at best. So um, in that sense, it's it's good that uh, that stance has been reversed and people are free to use the Betadine triple. Uh, I mean, particularly in India, bacitracin is very uh, important for us as a as a higher antibiotic. So it's it's probably better to keep that for other uses than for uh, than for this use. Yes, I think that that the betadine containing irrigations, like uh, I mentioned, even in some more recent studies, um, those really I think have risen to the top as probably the ones that that should be used. Not only are they um, they may be a little bit less expensive, but they do give, and this is even back to our original study, which was published in 2000. Um, it, we showed a little bit higher gram negative activity with the betadine containing irrigations, whether it's 50% betadine or the betadine triple. Um, and that again has, has been shown again in a more recent study that we published in ASJ a couple of years ago. Um, the, the one thing I, and I'd be interested in what, what, what you do, Anna Kath. I mean, we I've always I've used the betadine triple. Uh, the reason that we originally described betadine triple is actually because of what you alluded to earlier. Um, that at one point the FDA had restricted the, the contact of the implant with betadine, and that was because there was a concern that there was high deflation rates with um, the use of betadine. That really, as you said, is a little bit spurious information. It's very unfortunate that that uh, ever was placed on the label of breast implants because I think that there are people out there that believe some of the things like the uptick and BILCL cases is a result of people not using betadine because of what the FDA did. Uh, I don't know if there's any way for us to prove that, but it's a very interesting um, standpoint. But um it was really one report and there's a paper that we wrote in 2001 that details all this if some people are interested but it was just one um report to the fda of one person having very high saline deflation rates but it turns out that person was filling their implant with um betadine and and so what happens is that there's a uh, internal aspect of the valve of the saline implant that's uh vulcanized differently with the peroxide catalyst and it's sensitive to iodine, and that was something that was known. But but if you soaked implants for months in pure betadine, there was no change in the in the strength of the the uh, implant. Um, and we know now, if you look at our series uh, here, the deflation rates are very low using betadine implants. And so, uh, betadine really doesn't have any effect. Extra luminal betadine doesn't have any effect on on the implants. I would say, and this is what I want you to comment on, Anna Katha, what you actually use, because one thing I've learned over the years, I thought this was so simple when I first got into it, you know, 25 years ago. And I was like, wow, you know, we did the science and people just use this. But what I found is people or surgeons know about this, but a lot of times then they it gets mixed up either in their the communication with nurses in the operating room and these things are like recipes. So if you're going to use, for example, a betadine triple, you really need to mix that uh, precisely. You know, you can't put a liter of saline in it. Not, you know, it's 500 saline. If you if you over dilute it, there's a problem. It, you know, just remember, concentration and contact time are the important thing. So I think if if there's any question, 
my recommendation would just be use just use 50% betadine. That's just pure betadine out of the bottle and you can mix it half and half with saline. And that's probably the, the least expensive and the least um, kind of um, potential for some aberration in how it gets prepared. But what, what do you do clinically, Annikath? Um, so I use the betadine triple, uh, betadine, sephazolin, and uh, gentamicin in 500 ml of NS. Um, but your point is, is is absolutely correct. I mean, um, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it here in India as well. Um, the, the problems in two fronts. One is people not using any antibiotic irrigation at all. Um, if they're not, uh, if they're not, if they're not sufficiently aware of it, or if they underestimate the importance of it. Um, I mean, the number of breast implants we do in India is nowhere comparable to what happens in the states. So our sample size is much lower. So maybe that's why the uh, what do you say? The uh, people might not be entirely up to date on the on the latest recommendations or guidelines. But in this situation, this has been around for almost two decades now. So, uh, so the, it's unfortunate that that's the case. And the second part of it is, I've seen people they think antibiotic irrigation and they think any antibiotic irrigation is good enough. So I've seen people use all kinds of antibiotics and they think it's doing the same job, whereas that's really not the case. Um, the formulation that you have made it's based on extremely sound logic and. Uh, uh, and research. So, uh, as you said, swapping one thing out for another, or just uh, I've seen people just use hypochlorous acid. Um, I've seen people just use gentamicin by itself. So, it really it's really important that uh, you follow uh, uh, you you follow what is published. Um, and uh, the third point that I would say is the uh, particularly what I've seen what I've noticed here is a lot of people are using the funnel um, for the uh, to place the implant which in itself uh, is fine, but I, I feel like the funnel gives some people a false sense of security and they don't take the other points of the 14 point plan or the irrigation seriously enough. They think that, okay, if, you, if you're doing this, if you're doing the, if you're using the funnel, then then that's it, job done. Uh, whereas the funnel really at, uh, should be seen at, as an adjunct to this at best, but not a replacement. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we, we address that in the paper, some just, again, the funnels or, you know, that's all part of the 14 point plan is to minimize skin implant contact in a funnel or a sleeve is one way to do that. Um, there's other ways too. I actually prep the skin with chlorhexidine around where it's going in. Other, I know other people have put tegaderms over the incision and place it through that. So there's different ways you can minimize skin implant contact, but they're all passive reducers of bacteria. So the only active one is the antimicrobial breast pocket irrigation. And I think your points are very well taken. It's funny because what you mentioned, Annikath, is exactly when I got into this, it was the exact thing that you said that the pe that people are using all different things. And they think that they can just use any kind of antibiotic and put it in saline and it'll work. And I was actually working with five of my, I mean, these, these are extremely well-known plastic surgeons around the world. Um, you know, people like uh, Fritz Barton and Rod Rourke and Steve Bird and, Craig Hobar, um, Jay Burns. So all these people, they're all using wildly different things. And I always laugh at the one, one of the things that, that uh, people used back in the day there was called uh, double antibiotic solution. And I was trying to figure out what, what is that? You know, and it turns <laughs> out it was basically whatever two antibiotics they had happened to have at the center and the nurse could find, she put those together and that's what they use. But, but yeah, you can't, you can't generalize these things. You really do need to use the proper proven irrigation. So, and that really has gone on um, 
to the present day, you know, because I that's the one of the surprising things that I've seen is that there's still a lot of surgeons that are using things that haven't been really studied, and there's certainly no long-term clinical history. So this study, hopefully, 20-year um, history can help kind of educate people on what the best things are to use, and I think that will put them in good good steed. So, um, you know, Anna Kath, I one thing I want to just just thank you for you really did the lion's share of work on this paper. Um, you know, it was great. It was great when you were here. I think I even took you to a hockey game, but uh, mm -hmm. and and we were talking about this. But um, uh, thanks so much for for doing this. And you know, and I I hope that um, you know this podcast gives people a little bit of insight into uh, what went into this paper and what we feel like the mo most important points are, but we never would have got it done without you. Uh, Dr. Adams, you're being too kind. Uh, I mean, this was all your work and uh, your vision. I just, uh, I just played a small role in uh, writing it down and you were so generous in, uh, in throughout this entire process. Um, recently, you were kind enough to speak at our uh, Indian Society meeting as well on your experience with breast implants. And I can tell you that already um, uh, our paper is having an impact here in India, at least. I've, I've presented it in a couple of meetings and I've had people come up to me and say that uh, I, I really didn't, I'd heard of the triple antibiotic, but I didn't understand how important it really was. So um, I can tell you that it's it's definitely having an impact here already. And I'm so happy and uh, and proud to have been a part of it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And Come back to the ASJ website to see more of these podcasts and hope that you enjoy them and, and really help you treat your patients and give them the best outcomes that you can. So thanks again.